be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just text APPLY NOW to 88909 right now to get started. That's APPLY NOW to 88909. Auto financing the easy way. Text APPLY NOW to 88909. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Oh, want better visibility to get you through the winter? A new pair of premium wipers can help. Right now, you can earn a $10 bonus reward when you buy a pair of Rain-X Quantum Wiper Blades. See better and stay safe on the road all winter long. Get the parts you need when you need them at AutoZone or AutoZone.com. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply. Offer available to AutoZone Rewards members. Welcome back into the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM. Wichita Sports Leader, I'm your host, Jack Johnson, filling in for Shane just today, but not to worry. He'll be back on the show tomorrow. He's out there in Utah covering Wichita State baseball. Let's go to the phone lines and talk with Jordan Foote, as we do every Tuesday here on the Shane Dennis Show. Jordan, thanks for taking the time to come on the show this afternoon. Yeah, buddy, I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. I know that... Once in a while, uh, we get to chat when I'm with Shane, but it's good to, to get some jack time, man. And, you know, last time we didn't get the chance to talk too much about the Super Bowl, and we'll have a little bit of Super Bowl talk over the course of this segment. But what I want to start your segment off with is your thoughts on what LaShawn McCoy had to say about Eric Bienme. Now, it appears a lot of the former teammates, some former players are mostly backing Eric Bienme, but how do you take this? Jordan, is it an angry ex-player? that he's mad at Eric Bieniemy because he didn't get on the field as much at the tail end of the year? Or is there some validity because, hey, at the end of the day, this was a very prominent player at one point in a different organization and being very vocal about why Eric Bieniemy will be a failure as an OC? Look, man, um, <laughs> there are two former Chiefs running backs who – joined on the back end, the very, very, very back end of their careers, who weren't very good, um, very far from themselves, obviously one of them being Le'Veon Bell. And I forget whether Le'Veon also went after enemy or just Andy Reid. But to go after either of them, I think, is is very odd. And, and not there's not a good base behind it. And I tweeted earlier today, I just found it weird that the, the thing I couldn't wrap my head around a, LaShawn McCoy, extremely outnumbered in what he did. Like, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find many former players that uh, speak lowly or, or not highly uh, or harshly or any of that stuff of Eric enemy. And the thing that I keep coming back to is there have been players that have had uh, spats and kind of rough patches, whether it's in a game, in a practice, 
over the course of the season with Eric Bieniemy. Um, him and Patrick Mahomes have had a couple flare-ups, and him and Travis Kelsey have had a flare-up or two. Even Jamal Charles has talked about how much of, for lack of a better term, kind of a hard-ass Eric Bieniemy was. And, and that's kind of something people dealt with, and those people all love Eric Bieniemy. They all speak very highly of Eric Bieniemy. So I think LaShawn McCoy got told by multiple people in the building that he just didn't really have it anymore, you know, in polite terms. Um, I'm sure they, they phrased it a lot better than I did. And he probably heard some stuff he didn't want to hear. The Chiefs tenure ended um, differently in terms of his impact than what he wanted to hear. So I don't think there's much behind it other than, like you said, an angry former player heard some stuff he didn't want to hear from Bienemy Reed, both of them, one of them, either way, and it's kind of lashing out. It's hard to find more than just him who's going to go after Eric Bienemy like that. Now, with EB moving, you could say laterally, just taking another OC job, but I could see a little bit more of a, of a promotion because he gets the assistant head coaching role alongside Ron Rivera. But Jordan, in this new position, with a very young offense, night and day difference from Kansas City, when can you really, I guess, get a strong observation or a strong opinion on Eric Bieniemy's offense in Washington? Because I can't really say it'll be in year one. There's not enough talent there. But is it more so a, a two- or three-year process where you can really evaluate how good he is in OC, or will it have to be year one because of how cutthroat it is in the NFL? I think there are two ways that it can go in year one. This is a team that has Antonio Gibson. They have Brian Robinson. They have Terry McLaurin. Jahan Dotson had an impressive rookie season. Um, some really good moments there. I'm not sure whether Curtis Samuel's a free agent or not, but he's a quality option. Like, they're not completely devoid of talent, but the most important spot, obviously the defense has some talent there. They were an 8-8-1 eight and eight and one team a season ago, and they've kind of been one of those middle-of-the-pack talent teams that – you can squint and say, hey, they're a quarterback away from doing some damage. But the problem in the NFL is if you say that about a team, what's the hardest part to find? It's a championship-caliber quarterback or even a playoff-caliber quarterback could be difficult. So they don't even have that. I'm not saying that if they bring back Taylor Heineke, they can't sneak into the playoffs because he's played a playoff game for them before. Or if Carson Wentz comes back, they can't do a little bit of damage and win nine games instead of eight. Um, but Sam Howell seems to be the guy, barring maybe a Derek Carr ending up there or a Jimmy Garoppolo ending up there or a draft pick ending up there. So is an Eric the enemy offense going to fix Sam Howell? I think that's an unfair expectation and kind of an encapsulation of his past few years, people expecting him to jump through all these hoops just to get a head coaching offer. Um, back to the two pads at the end of the year, if things aren't, going swimmingly with Ron Rivera. I could see him getting canned at the end of the year. And then although Eric Bieniemy's deals for, what, five years, him not getting that full five and not getting a fair shake. Or I could see if things aren't going well, Ron Rivera getting canned in season and then Eric Bieniemy taking over as the interim head coach and then the team rallying around him and winning some games. That's the optimistic outcome or the most optimistic one he does well, Rivera retires, or something happens there, mutually parts ways, the enemy takes over, gets a job elsewhere. Like There are paths to Eric the enemy having success and getting that head coaching job at long last. But like you mentioned, they don't have a ton. They're not a clear playoff team. 
he would be a miracle worker if he made Sam Howell turn into a really, really good quarterback and essentially year one on the job. Um, so, again, unfair expectations. I think he is going to have to jump through some hoops, but there is a path to him uh, seeing this through and potentially even being promoted to head coach at some point. We're talking with Deputy Editor of Arrowhead Report, Jordan Foote. Jordan, is it a no-brainer at this point that Matt Nagy will be the next OC of the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, I think so. And with the Rooney rule, I believe they've upped it to at least one external minority interview. Um, Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was uh, that recently got renovated. So they're going to have to interview some people, and one of them is going to have to be a minority. They're going to have to at least entertain the possibility of adding somebody who isn't Matt Nagy. And I think it is going to end up being him. It makes really too much sense, and it sucks for those interviewees that they probably aren't going to get the job and they might know heading in but they're not going to get the job. I I just don't see, even if an interview comes in and maybe it's like Greg Lewis internally or someone else externally just knocks their socks off, Matt Nagy would have to really mess it up, I think, to not get the job. Like, he has an in with Andy Reid. He has experience on the job with the Chiefs, (laughs) like not just in the NFL. Um, He has the in with Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes clearly loves him. Seems like Travis Kelsey. Like, the, the pieces on offense are big fans of Matt Nagy. I would be absolutely floored if he doesn't get the job. Yes, there's a non-zero chance, you know, until a contract is signed and ink is put to paper. There's always a chance that someone swoops in and gets that job. But it seems like it's Matt Nagy's unless something crazy happens. Now, Albert Breer tweeted this out about three days ago when talking about Matt Nagy of taking that next step to the OC role in Kansas City. But he said there's a real shot that whenever the time comes, Andy Reid's successor would be Matt Nagy. Where do you stand on that? Do you think the Chiefs have this plan that, let's say, Andy Reid coaches three more years in Kansas City? Do they keep Matt Nagy on the staff long enough where he would then take over for Andy Reid? Or do you think it would be more so of an outside hire whenever Big Red's time is done here with the Chiefs? Yeah, I do think, and I've thought for a couple years, and this is not me saying hashtag sources or I know this or I know that this has been kind of a shared sentiment with several people. It's not a completely original thought that everyone thought Eric the enemy would, would outlast Andy Reed and get that job. And I'm thinking, I don't think it's his to take unless Andy Reed absolutely said, I want Eric the enemy to take this job. I think if Matt Nagy does stick around and doesn't, you're, you're playing the timeline waiting game at that point. I think Shane and I last week, he mentioned, or maybe it was the week before, the over-under was set at three and a half, and we both thought four years would be it for Andy Reid. I could absolutely see it being three. Um, I could maybe squint and see it being five. But within five years, Andy Reid's not going to be the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think that does open the door for Matt Nagy, who people get to hate on him all they want, man. He went through the playoffs twice with Mitch Trubisky as his quarterback. He had a winning record by a few games in Chicago. Like, yes, it ended very uh, sourly on a bad note, but he wasn't a terrible head coach. He did better than a lot of people think, and I know that the lasting memory kind of boggles people's memories and minds a little bit. He was okay for the most part, and he did bring some positives to that job. So I think it is possible that he does last for a few years as the OC. The enemy did it for five years, so it's not out of the question that – 
Uh, Matt Nagy wouldn't be able to do it. The problem is, what if another team in one year or another team in two years offers him a job and he finds it appealing? That absolutely could be um, something where he does leave. So it depends on what Reed's timeline is. I do buy that there's a five-year maximum expiration date on Andy Reed's career as a head coach, and it's well-deserved because he's going to be, what, 68, 69, almost 70 years old at that point. Um, he's earned to not coach much longer than that if he doesn't want to. I also don't think there was any smoke behind him retiring this offseason. I, I think that, like he said, he, Jay Glazer maybe misinterpreted his answer. Um, I don't think that was ever a possibility. So Reed's going to be around for at least a couple more years, if not three, if not four. If Matt Nagy doesn't get offered something that knocks his socks off in terms of an offer, I do think that could be him as the next head coach. We're talking with Jordan Foote, deputy editor of Arrowhead Report. The draft is still a couple months away, but I feel like even after a couple weeks of the Super Bowl, most Chiefs fans are already now wondering who are they going to be taking with pick number 31 in the draft here in Kansas City. We talked about this a little bit on the Shane Dennis Show yesterday, Jordan, but I'm curious of your thoughts. With pick number 31, what are you drafting? Position of need or just best player available? It's kind of a cop-out to say both because I think you could make a case for even, and this isn't really a pick 31, um, but they could take a tight end in the second round. And you'd say, why the heck are they doing that? They have Travis Kelsey and Noah Gray. But if they find players that they think, like the Chiefs set themselves up last season and the offseason before that um, with this most recent draft and then 21 and even partially 20, you can make these moves for the future. I, I think, and it goes back to the offensive tackle question, people are saying, oh, well, the Chiefs need to upgrade over Orlando Brown. You probably aren't going to find a guy at 31 who's capable of stepping in day one and doing that. You're, it's hard to get day one starting talent at some positions, and Edge was one of them. Like You aren't getting a future star at Edge at the end of the first round. And I don't think they did in George Karloffis. I think he's more of a really solid player long-term, which is perfectly fine for the draft slot. So it depends on expectations, I believe. Um, I think you can satisfy both because you can make, barring it being a, I guess, running back pick or a interior offensive line pick or a linebacker pick, you can make a case for anything being important. Obviously, quarterbacks on that list as well. They could go wide receiver. That's a position of need and could have the best player available. You could go tackle. You could go defensive line. You could go edge. You could go cornerback, even safety, if you wanted to. Um, so I think the Chiefs are in a unique position where they can kind of scratch – uh, both of those inches at the same time. Is there any scenario in which you could squint and see the Chiefs once again packaging a couple of picks and maybe moving up to around the early 20s, maybe even into the teens? I think it's possible. man. I'm not going to put it past them. Um, if a guy like, I don't know, Quentin Johnson from TCU, the wide receiver is available, they could trade up for him. Um, I know that Brian Branch has been a really popular name. I, I think he lasts a little bit longer than some people believe, even though I do like him a lot. Maybe it's a uh, Jordan Addison. Maybe there's one of the tackle prospects that they think is higher on their board than others. If uh, Van Ness, the, the kid, the edge rusher from Iowa, is there at 23 or something, perhaps they move up. Like They have every bit of capital they need to move up, I think, with the draft chart, usually by this time I have 
kind of put in some some possible scenarios into the formula. Um, it's really easy to do. I haven't yet this year to see where they can maneuver, but they have a surplus of picks. They're going to get some comp picks coming in. They can move up for just about anyone they want. They could even get up to, you know, as high as like pick 10 if they really felt like it. I don't think that drastic of a move up is going to happen, but if it's like a Trent McDuffie move up and you go from there, I think it's absolutely on the table this year. Last question for the Chiefs here, and then we'll move into some Royals baseball talk because they're down in Surprise, Arizona. But with this wide receiver group, let's say they let Juju Smith-Schuster walk away, and you come, you bring back Kadarius Toney, you bring back Sky Moore, you still have MVS. Who would be the number one wide receiver? I, th- I know we gave that title to Juju last year, even though there was no true number one. Who would maybe grab that spot, or would it be somebody they go out and get in free agency or via trade? It seems like it's got to be external, right? If Juju leaves and McCole Harmon leaves and you bring back MBS, perhaps, like if MBS is your number one, and trust me, Patrick Mahomes can work some miracles, but if you have MBS or Kadarius Tony or Sky Moore as your number one wideout, I think you have problems. And it's not that Sky Moore can't be a really good player. It's not that Kadarius Tony isn't extremely dynamic. It isn't that MBS can put up a thousand yards if they fumbled in the ball enough. It's that you just wouldn't have enough talent on the roster in that room if they're your number one guy. So I think you have to have at minimum Juju Smith Schuster be your number one wideout this coming off season. It's just gonna be tough because like what do what do they do in terms of the free agent market? Juju is maybe the best wideout out there right now that's not named perhaps Odell Beckham Jr. I think, oddly enough, McCole Hardman is one of the better wideouts out there. So then you go to the trade market or you go to, does Keenan Allen get cut? I'm actually, right before we hopped on here, I was writing an article about Michael Thomas. Do you do something there and hope that that works out? Um, then you're going down the rabbit hole of banking on Kadarius Tony, staying healthy, banking on Sky Moore, taking a leap in year two, which people think he's capable of, but still that's a lot to count on. And you're banking on MVS being a slightly better version than you got this season, which also is not a guarantee. So I don't know. I think it's tough. Do you draft a Quentin Johnson or Jordan Addison or uh, a Zay Flowers or JSN or whoever it is, and then hope that they can be your wideout one in year one under Andy Reid? We just saw what Sky Moore did in year one, and it wasn't that much until the Super Bowl. So I think you mentioned packaging picks. Um, maybe that's for a player, which would be kind of counterintuitive considering what they did for Tyree Kill or with Tyree Kill last year, but it wouldn't be completely unfounded to do that. I think if they find a player they really want who is frustrated out or the team wants to get rid of, I don't think it's out of the question that they could – kind of move for a player that's not a draft pick and go after a vet if, of course, like you said, Juju leaves. We're talking with deputy editor of Arrowhead Report, Jordan Foote. Let's switch and talk some Royals baseball as there was some news this morning that one of their candidates to start in at center field in opening day or on opening day, Drew Waters is sidelined for six weeks with an oblique injury. Jordan, does that all but solidify it is Kyle Isbell's job to lose or is there any remote chance that maybe a guy like Ed Olivares grabs it, Samad Taylor more of an outside chance, the guy they got in the Whit Merrifield trade from Toronto last year? Or is it pretty much Kyle Isbell in a runaway? No, nope, it's Kyle Isbell in a runaway. I think barring 
a really poor showing in spring training. Like, J.J. Piccolo um, publicly has said all the right things in terms of how he feels about Kyle Isbell. The organization feels that Kyle Isbell is very, very, very capable defensively. They want to see what he can do offensively. And he's a guy that he skipped through the minor league system very aggressively without much of a track record, then came up and didn't play a ton. The Royals have not handled him correctly, and I think they know that. They want to give him a fair shot this year to show what he can do. Um, Drew Waters showed a lot more at the plate last year than Isbell kind of ever has, which is unfortunate. But there was a pretty clear path to Isbell getting a lot of reps in center field. Drew Waters getting plenty of reps in right field or kind of platooning sort of within the Royals who kind of backed away from that idea. Now, obviously, um, Waters is hurt now, so he's not going to be there for six weeks or so as he works his way back. So it's unfortunate for Waters. I think we always bring up, and I've probably said it 20 times uh, over the past couple of years talking to you and Shane, these sorts of log jams usually have a way of figuring themselves out. And usually it is because of injury or a trade or one guy isn't with the team anymore. Um, now it's going to be Drew Waters for a while with an oblique strain. That's something that can linger for a while and can really bother people. So I think this opens the door for Kyle Isbell. It gives Edward Olivares a little bit more of a shot. Um, it gives Nate Eaton a little more of a shot. I think Andy Rogers mentioned Samad Taylor's name a little bit. So this gives everyone a little bit more of a, a piece of the pie and the Royals still have some hope that Drew Waters will be back soon. Now, there's been some great stories written by Annie Rogers of MLB.com over this last week or so. In regards to this coaching staff, there was one on Paul Hoover, there was one on Brian Sweeney and Zach Bovey, but I want to touch on that Paul Hoover piece and working with the catchers, and he was one of the coaches on Tampa Bay staff that worked with Mike Zanino, worked with Christian Betancourt, got a group that Got a lot of additional strikes for their pitching staff, and that is sometimes an underlying part of this game, especially when working with young guys that getting them those extra strikes with pitch framing is so vitally important. And last year, the Royals had the two worst catchers in baseball in doing that with Salvador Perez and MJ Melendez. Do you see a scenario, Jordan, that a guy like Salvador Perez, who has spent more than a decade at this level, can significantly improve his pitch framing with the tutelage of Paul Hoover? Or are we only going to see maybe a slight bump because it's already been so long, you're not going to teach an old dog new tricks? I think you're going to see a decent improvement, and it's only because the metrics were so low to begin with. Like I don't think Selger Perez is going to become a good framer. All of a sudden, I don't think NJ Melendez is going to become a good framer all in one season where really he's turning into... Uh, more of a left fielder than anything by the sounds of it. But I think they can regress positively to being okay at it. And does that mean they're going to completely be okay? Not necessarily. But does that mean they won't be train wrecks and bottom five in baseball or whatever they were? I think that can happen. And one thing that the Royals are, I guess, a couple things. Communication has been one. Collaboration has been one. Being detail-oriented and knowing how to interpret and use the data that they have that's all going to come into play here. And I think you are going to find a player that works harder and cares more than Salvador Perez. So I think it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, but if he truly does care and he truly is in good shape, I can see him improving. And MJ Melendez is still young and kind of a malleable ball of clay enough to where even if he is working in the outfield, I think the part-time work he does behind the plate can help. So I think it's a good acquisition 
obviously bringing in Paul Hoover. Um, they've said all the positive things, all the right things about him. I don't think they're going to wide-scale, like, sweeping change how their catcher's frame. I think a lot of it's going to depend on the pitchers just pitching to better spots <laughs> as well and having those raid the zone T-shirts. Like, they, they really want to live in and around the strike zone this year early and often. A lot of that's going to come from the pitching side, I think, but the catchers are also, I think, going to be at least a little bit better at that. Looking at this rotation, I did want to talk a little bit about the T-shirts that came out yesterday of the Raid the Zone. If you haven't seen that, you can just go to Annie Rogers' Twitter account on Twitter. She covers the Royals for MLB.com. And the new motto, the new slogan for this pitching staff of Raiding the Zone, which I assume means you better be in the zone aggressively, not just laying it over the middle, meatballs over the middle, but trying to attack hitters and stay around the zone. But with this rotation, Jordan, I think we know the top half's pretty solidified. You have Brady yep. Singer there. You have Jordan Lyles. You have Zach Granke and likely Daniel Lynch. But maybe your pulse right now. I know we haven't seen them play in any games yet. We haven't even made it you know, too far into the week with pitchers and catchers reporting or the full roster moving into to surprise Arizona. But maybe right now, who has the inside track for the fifth spot? Is it Bubich? Is it Heasley? Is it Yarbrough? Where do you see the Royals shaking out with their final spot in the starting rotation? It's a tough one to, to figure out because even Brad Keller – gets like one of those potential spots. I think, like you said, it's going to be Grinky, Lyles, Singer, Lynch, not not in that order, obviously, but those four guys. Um, I think Daniel Lynch has done enough and has enough of a ceiling to keep that spot um, in the top four. I think Yarbrough is going to be used as kind of a hybrid type guy in that I think he could hold the, the spot in technicality, but really he's more splitting innings with someone. Maybe they use him as an opener and they bring in a Brad Keller in long relief or they bring in a Jackson Coar in long relief. Um, I think Heasley also has a little bit of an inside track. Bubich has the data says when Chris Bubich is throwing the ball harder, which is easier said than done over a long game, he does a lot better. And I think Heasley has the profile that could stick in the starting rotation in terms of having multiple at least effective pitches at the least. Um, Bubich doesn't always have that. And he did implement a new pitch last spring, then shelved it for the entire season. Like, there's so much that's unknown about this group. I think Brad Keller could take the spot. I think it's going to be a combination of guys. I don't think one guy's going to hold that spot for the whole season. If I had to pick right now, I think I'd go Ryan Yarbrough. I think it's going to be unorthodox. I do think that there are going to be several guys to get that chance throughout the year. But if you have, like, if, if you're sitting with Matt Quicharo and J.J. Piccolo and the whole pitching staff, and you're, like, right down this list of five on opening day, I think Ryan Yarbrough's that fifth guy, um, but I don't have a ton of confidence in that pick. And last question for you, Jordan. We're talking with Jordan Foote, deputy editor of Arrowhead Report, talking some Royals baseball right now. With that injury to Drew Waters and maybe opening up a spot for Kyle Isbell to take that job, maybe Edward Olivares moving to right field, does that kind of now give the inside edge to Fran Mill Reyes, who they inked to a minor league deal, you know, a spot on this opening day roster? I already thought to begin with they should give Fran Mill Reyes a chance because of his Zips projections, his fan graphs projections. And I think last year might have been an anomaly. He was damn good in 2021 with 30 bombs for Cleveland. I mean, it kind of feels like a no-brainer with that type of deal to put Fran Mill Reyes as your opening at DH, does it not? Yeah, I think so. 
And I, I believe the fact that they don't want to, or at least don't plan on, putting Hunter Dozier as the, the DH, they don't have Ryan O'Hearn in the picture anymore. I don't think Nick Prado breaks camp with the team, so you don't have to move Vinny Pasquantino over to DH. You have a clear spot in left field for um, MJ Melendez. Salvador Perez early in the season won't need as many days off. Like neither of the second base prospects obviously hit well enough to, to shift over to DH. So they have simultaneously like a minor log jam. Edward Olivares could potentially DH some. But Framil Reyes, man, he's only 27 years old. He's, like you said, two years removed from a 126 weight of runs created plus. He walked almost 10% of the time. He had a 522 slugging percentage. His weighted OBA was 353. Like, he was a clear positive at the plate. He hit 30 bombs two years before that. He hit 37. He's going to strike out a lot. His plate discipline is not the best. But, man, he is a very talented player. I think that I'm trying to look up his baseball savant page as we speak. Um, he is a player that hits the ball extremely hard. He's a player that's going to hit the ball out of the park. Even at Kauffman Stadium, he's going to be able to do that. Like, I think it's – and Matt Beatty you can make an argument for, too. And, and even Camargo as a guy that is a utility infielder. Reyes is more of that pure hitter. His average exit velocity, 92nd percentile last year. His hard hit percentage was 79th. His barrel rate was 80th percentile. Like, he's not going to walk a ton. His peripherals were bad. But he's going to hit the ball hard. He's going to hit the ball far. He's going to be, at worst, I think, what you were getting out of Brian O'Hearn, probably a little bit better. And he also has a much, much higher ceiling. Like, he has a better uh, track record than a guy like that. Last year was the only time he's even been close to an average hitter, below average hitter. He's been clearly above average every year other than that. So I think it was a smart move by the Royals, and I do think that um, there's still enough you know, left in the tank. He's only 27, like I said, for that juice to be worth the squeeze. All right. Well, Jordan, thanks so much for your time as always, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks a lot, buddy. There he goes. That's Jordan Foote, Deputy Editor of Arrowhead Report. Gives us great content every single Tuesday on everything Chiefs. And now, probably moving forward, a lot more Royals talk as spring training is ramping up. We'll start to know who is making this roster. Of course, the news from this morning, Drew Waters being sidelined for six weeks with an oblique injury. But speaking of the Royals, uh, this week there is some personnel up here at 810 that has been down at Surprise talking with all the players, coaching staff, and John Sherman. So with Todd Lebo and Seren Petro being down there, when we come back we're going to play some audio that was got gotten at least from Todd Lebo and Seren Petro. We'll hear from Royals manager Matt Quattro. Heard from him yesterday on the Shane Dennis Show, but there is some new piece of audio out there from Quattro today. And we'll also hear from Royals catcher slash outfielder MJ Melendez. That's next on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. The Shane Dennis Show will be right back on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. What do people with blindness or low vision need to live to the fullest? Just ask them. It's skill development, scientific breakthroughs, knowledge-based jobs, and the same opportunities as everyone else. When you give to Envision, whether it be your time, donations, or your engagement, you make it all possible. That's because at Envision, they don't focus on the disability. They value the ability. They choose not to envision a world without sight, but to envision a world where people who are blind or visually impaired 
are empowered to reach their full potential. Learn more at EnvisionUS.com. When it comes to making plans for next year, it's time to think new for 22. Take advantage of the season's best pricing on model year 2022 Case IH equipment from Canequip. Choose from Case IH Cedars, tillage tools, and more. Plus five years of an AFS Connect subscription with purchase on select equipment. Visit Canequip in Wichita and Hutchinson, your Case IH Red Zone sponsor. Canequip, Canequip, you. Did you know you could be driving in a pile of cash, like right now? Bumper makes it easy to know what your car is worth. The used car market is hot right now. Bumper.com could be your opportunity to make some bank. Bumper.com lets you know what your car is worth based on your car's specific details. So whether you're selling or just want to know, Bumper makes it easy. Know what your car is worth. Just go to Bumper.com. For buying and beyond, Bumper.com. Bumper reports are based upon data available. Bumper may not have the complete historical records of every vehicle. Paid for by Bar Justice. Attention. Have you or a loved one been diagnosed with cancer after using Zantac or other heartburn medications for several months? The FDA has warned that Zantac and other medications containing heartburn drug, ranitidine, may be contaminated with cancer-causing agent NDMA. Zantac may be linked to these cancers, bladder, colorectal, esophageal, intestinal, kidney, liver, ovarian, pancreatic, stomach, testicular, and uterine. If you or a loved one have been diagnosed with cancer after using Zantac or other heartburn medications for several months, call now. 800-516-9931. Never stop taking medication without first consulting a physician. Call right now for a free consultation. You may be owed significant compensation. Call 800-516-9931. 800-516-9931. That's 800-516-9931. 800-516-9931. Here in Manhattan, every man is a wildcat. Into the corner for three. Yes, sir! Yes, sir! Join us for the start of a new era. Our next head basketball coach at Kansas State University, Jerome Tang. Be a part of the wildcat journey all season long on your home for Kansas State basketball. Tuesday, Kansas State faces Baylor. Hear the tip-off at 6 on the home of the Wildcats, ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. Welcome back into the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM, Wichita's sports leader. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, filling in for Shane today, but not to worry. Shane will be back from Utah tomorrow, back on the show as he is out there covering some Shocker baseball. Text line is open, as always, at 316-247-0923. That's 316-247-0923. 0923. Let us know any thoughts you have, any concerns, anything you want to talk about, because now that Chiefs football is over, we'll be talking some spring training, going to be talking some college basketball. If you missed any of the show today, you can, of course, catch that on our podcast page for ESPN Wichita. We talked a lot of college basketball in the first hour, 
In the beginning parts of the second hour, we were joined by Jordan Foote, talked a lot of Chiefs, talked a lot of Eric Bieniemy, and got a little bit of a preview into spring training and some of his takeaways, his thoughts, as we've gotten some rumbling, some news from down there in Surprise, Arizona. But as you have been fully aware, we do have some people down in Surprise covering the Royals this week, being Todd Lebo and Seren Petro, and they had a chance once again to talk with Royals manager Matt Quattraro. So we have a little bit of that audio to play for you here today. So without further ado, here is Royals manager Matt Quattraro. What can you tell us about Drew and the timeline that he'll be out um, and then how that kind of opens up your competition? So Drew is left oblique strain, um, going to be shut down from activity, approximate return about six weeks. And what that does to the competition just gives a lot more at-bats to other guys to spread around in the spring. And I think that's one thing that JJ's done a good job of putting together some versatile guys, so infielders that can bounce to the outfield as well as guys that can play multiple positions in the outfield. Is Kyle Isbell kind of the, the leading candidate for the starting center field job? I don't know if that's I mean, we're going to give him every opportunity to, to, to grab that spot. Yeah, I mean, he's an elite defender um, and somebody that we think highly of, so so that he would probably be the guy in the lead, yeah. What does it take to play center field in Coffin Stadium? Elite jumps, routes. I mean, it's, you're asking because it's huge, you know, and that's what you need. You need somebody that can really run, somebody that can cover a lot of ground, and, and more so than anything, get good jumps on the ball so that they're in the right spot. You have options there, right? I mean, you, I think you like the athleticism of a lot of your yeah. yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, there's guys, that's why I'm saying, you know, it could be people that aren't necessarily outfielders, too. You know, we've got a lot of good multi-purpose guys that play the infield and the outfield. Is the center field option I would think we'll put him out there some. I mean, the way I view him is he can play everywhere. So we'll see where he's most comfortable. At some point, you want to be fair to him, too, and put him in the best spots for, for his success. So I'm not really sure how much that's in one corner, center, third, whatever it is. How, how much is the – I mean, the utility thing's become much more of a thing here over the last 10 years, right? Like, uh, I remember Ben Zobrist was one of the first guys that was really an everyday player that could bounce around. Uh, how much has that evolved and how much easier is it? Is it something that could have been done a long time ago and teams just didn't take advantage of it? Or is it, uh, you know, today's players just more versatile? Well, I'm, okay, so I think, first of all, there was probably more of a profile put on each position back in the – 70s 80s 90s even um now because that player has evolved um you know i think of some other guys too sean figgins and guys like that where they're really good and it takes a different mindset to be able to not worry about just one thing and focus on that but i think lineup construction and everything's evolved over time too to where you're not your power guys don't just have to be your first baseman and left fielder or right fielder whatever you can have power from any positions i mean the thing that comes to mind is like when Jeff Kent started hitting 40 homers as a second baseman and you know that that was kind of new and then people were you know not married to that profile quite as much is the versatility something you, you start low like hey this guy's got these spots let's let's keep him it's like an organizational philosophy as opposed to typecasting him and putting him in something that you develop all the way up or is it you know something that can be added just based upon the player's athleticism and profile i think it's an individual thing you know i mean i think if you have a guy that you think is a superstar everyday player at a certain position 
you don't move them around too much. I think if there's guys that you think are really good major league players or even average major league players that you think can help a team, then it doesn't hurt to expose them to something else because you just can't forecast injuries and playing opportunity. you got to have guys that are ready and not shocked by that. So I, I would say more so of the philosophy, I guess, to, to move guys around, but I don't think it's like every guy has to play every position. Where does Hunter Dozier fit in to this roster as a kind of a veteran guy and who's played a lot of positions? How does he fit in? Yeah, where does well, he fit? Is he going to play more third? Yeah, we've told him to really focus his efforts at third. He knows that's not going to be an everyday thing, but overwhelmingly, especially at the beginning, we're going to focus him at third base. What have been your impressions early on of Jose Anguissil's work with your infielders? Yeah, it's really impressive. I mean, I've had a little experience watching him from the other side of the field, and I know he's got a ton of passion, ton of energy. He's very creative with the drills he does, and I think our guys were really hungry for that. Um, and he really leaves, like, no stone unturned. He covers every aspect of it, and it's fun to watch. His work individually, but then also, like, group-wise, um, does that kind of speak to... Where, what you're talking about, no stone unturned, the way he's able to balance all of that? Yeah, and he loves to work. I mean, we're probably going to have to back him off some before he, he either hurts himself or, you know, just runs out of daylight out here. I mean, he, he just wants to keep working with guys, and he wants to make them better. And, you know, it's we all know, he knows too, that, you know, this is a long process. It's not going to all happen in the spring. Um, but the energy level and what what's really impressive is the guys seeking him out for, like, hey, Let's do some more. Let's try this. Let's. I'm thinking about these little details that you know he, he's really on top of. You have a lot of athletes, obviously, on, on your team, um, and who can take advantage of their athleticism. Maybe the metrics didn't favor them as much last year defensively. How much of an emphasis was changing that um, in this offseason and then into the spring? Changing their Change, metrics? Yeah, or? I mean, just improving. Defensively. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we need to catch the ball better than what was done last year but um they they the to their credit just like the pitchers were about throwing strikes they they brought that to us you know we we need to be better and they're doing that day to day like jose came in this morning said a couple guys were like hey that was good yesterday but i want to do this i want to focus more on this and more just keep adding to it so that's to their credit as well uh, Bobby had, uh, had some struggles, at least metrics-wise, excuse me, uh, defensively at short. What's your experience on how much better a player can get at the big league level at a spot? I've seen players get a lot better. Um, you know, the first guy that comes to mind was Willie Adamas came up and had trouble throwing, and you would never know that now. I mean, he's become a great everyday major league player. Um, that's the first example that comes to mind, but... Bobby's a young guy that got to the big leagues quickly, and it's a different game at times. And he comes up, and he's got the makeup and the, the drive to be good. And uh, he's going to keep getting better. I have no, I'm confident that you're going to see big strides out of him. How is it important? How important is it for him to stick at short for this organization to have? I know you just mentioned that. Hey, Jeff Kent, forty homers. And second, it is different that your power guys aren't first, third, right? You know, like the way it used to be. But how important would it be for this organization to have him, his bat, be the guy that you, you dream he can be, and do it at short? Yeah, I mean, it'd be great, but that's an unfair thing to say about Bobby. You know, he he does not have to be a great shortstop for the organization. He has to be a great player for himself and we're going to be better for that if it's shortstop that's great if it's not i'm confident he'll be 
great anywhere, you know. So I, I don't think that's a fair thing to say. The organization depends on him to to be great there. Uh, this this is not about Bobby. This is just in general. <clears throat> I apologize for my voice. Uh, the you know, on base percentage. How, how much can a guy's eye improve at this level, or do you? Is that really kind of established what what a guy is? He either can or can't see a strike long before he ever gets to the big league levels. No, it can improve. Yeah, I mean, I mean, approach, comfort, learning the pitchers, learning themselves. You know, yeah. No, I, I definitely think it can improve. Is there an age where a guy is what he is? I think we're all kind of what we are over time. I mean, but guys, guys, will we're, we're not looking for somebody that has a. 200 on base to have a 400 on base we're looking for incremental improvements right and so i think that's what what we're we will see as guys mature i mean guys just have better at bats the longer they're in the league generally you know if not they're not in the league anymore so that you got to continue to evolve baseball is a hard game right always challenging game of adjustments everyone's adjusting uh brady singer finally you know he established himself last year how much does you know have you seen guys that you know they get that first year where they they become the guy you want them to be then the league changes and and all of a sudden maybe he's not ready to make that adjustment is that his focus this year is to make sure that you know he doesn't get complacent with with the success he's had at this point i'm not worried about that at all i mean i he's no one in there is complacent you know and i don't think i think that's maybe a narrative that might be overplayed sometimes like you've got it figured out nobody has it figured out guys that are zach's tinkering as much as anybody he's been in the league for 20 years you know and i think though if you want to stay you would you adjust and you evolve and none of these guys are like all right i got this I'm, I'm going to ask a dumb question because I'm going to be leaving tomorrow, so I'm not going to get a chance to ask it later. So if you're around, they're not dumb? No, no. Yeah, when right. I'm here, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, opening day, you know, for the opening day starter. Uh, you know, experience, just best performance in spring, best performance career-wise. What, what in your mind goes into who's going to be the opening day starting pitcher? Yeah, I, we. I have not given that any thought, so... Yeah, I'm not even ready to get close to answering that. You, you didn't have – yeah, I'm not asking for a name. Just what goes into it? I mean, when you've had those conversations. We haven't. I'm being honest with you. We have not talked about opening day starter. So we're not even close to – In Tampa, did you have conversations I about – I was not involved. They told me who was starting, and okay. I put it on the lineup card. Interesting. All right. That was Matt Quattrao earlier today with our very own Seren Petro. And I do think that is interesting when looking at the opening day starter for the Royals. I think right now on the surface, everybody's going, well, it's a no-brainer for Brady Singer. But when has a manager ever picked their opening day starter uh, before you've even had one inning of spring training? But assuming all goes right... Uh, that man should be Brady Singer being the number one for the Kansas City Royals. We talked a little bit about that with Jordan Foote. But, you know, I think for the last couple of years, who has it been? It's been Brad Keller for two of those years. Zach Granke was last year. But now, at least in the 2018 draft class, you have your best pitcher. And Brady Singer going to be the opening day starter, in my opinion, at least. But, of course, a guy like Matt Quattraro is not going to give that away. We were going to play some MJ Melendez audio, but since we're kind of on a little bit of a time crunch here and we want to save some time for I'm Old Jax Young with Pat Strothman, we are going to save that for either Pat's show or we'll just play it tomorrow for you on the Shane Dennis Show. So when we come back here on ESPN Wichita, we will play some I'm Old Jax Young with Pat Strothman. That's next on the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. The Shane Dennis Show will be right back on ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM. The 2023 Envision Golf 4 Vision Tournament will be held on Thursday, May 11th at Teradyne Country Club. 
Come join us and our friends and partners as we help raise money for Envision's programs and services that promote independence and create opportunity for people of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. To sign up or sponsor the event, contact us at 316-440-1532 or visit golfforvision.com. We hope to see you May 11th for a day of golfing for Envision. When it comes to making plans for next year, it's time to think new for 22. Take advantage of the season's best pricing on model year 2022 Case IH equipment from Canequip. Choose from Case IH Cedars, tillage tools, and more. Plus five years of an AFS Connect subscription with purchase on select equipment. Visit Canequip in Wichita and Hutchinson, your Case IH Red Zone sponsor. Canequip, Canequip, you. Time to leave it all on the mat. For the fourth year in a row, the NAIA Wrestling National Championship is coming to Wichita March 3rd and 4th at Hartman Arena. 280 of the best collegiate wrestlers in the country will square off for team and individual national championships. This event is open to the public, and the championship session will be broadcast live on ESPN3. All session tickets are now on sale, and single session tickets will be available the day of the event. For more information, visit visitwichita.com. Don't miss it. Hey, Sorrent Petro here. The Royals are reporting for spring training, and we have you covered right here on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. Is it now basically just in the ownership group's court to put the plan together, get with the politicians? Yeah, we're having meetings with the politicians, with political leaders. We're not hiding anything. It's really about, uh, it's just good business, you know, not trying to not start a land rush somewhere. Follow the Royals on your home for Major League Baseball, ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. Want to hear how I almost got off the naughty list this year? I helped Santa save gazillions by having him download Capital One Shopping to his computer. Capital One Shopping instantly searches for available coupon codes and automatically applies them at checkout. You can download it too and save a bundle. You don't even need a Capital One card and it's free. So why didn't I get off the naughty list? Turns out Santa's a stickler for naughty words. Capital One Shopping. It's kind of genius. What's in your wallet? Savings and available coupons vary. Welcome back into the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. I am your host, Jack Johnson, filling in for Shane today. Not to worry, though, Shane will be back from covering Wichita State baseball tomorrow afternoon. But now we are joined by the host from the Pulse, Pat Strothman. Pat, do you read me? I was half tempted to just sit here in silence. Yeah, well, never mind. For 15 <laughs> seconds just to see if that would freak you see out. See if the panic would set in. Yes, that's exactly what I was tempted to do there. Well, try to think of what this song is. Okay, okay, now I'll give you time to think. See, it's it's difficult on my end. I can't I can't read any facial expressions like Shane can. What's the song called? Reeling in the years. Oh, man. 
Who is... This is a popular... Is it a band? Yes, band. Sounds like Steely Dan to me. You would be correct. <laughs> I guess a pretty solid guess. I was going to try to point you in a direction of hell, like Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> but then... I was just going to maybe go off songs from that point. Do it again. Hey, 19. Dirty work. Dirty work, I feel like you would have gotten if I would have said. Yeah. You would yeah. Yeah. I probably would have gotten that. Yeah. But yeah, nothing gets past you. I think in the times I've hosted this, I'm not sure you've missed yet. Unless it was the one that... <laughs> I think I've I think I've missed. I think before. you missed maybe one, and it was from a song that Curtis gave me. I think it was. It was one he walked in on. And he said, I know for a fact uh, they're not going to get this one. <laughs> but that wasn't my doing at all. Of course. Of course it's That was Curtis. all Curtis. That was all <laughs> of Curtis. Course he, of course it's K. He has not him. given me the suggestion since suggestion since that point. Oh, man. Good old K. Well, I got here just in time. You did. So February 21st, 2023. I should just start off by giving you a rugby player, but I'm not going to. It's up to you. It's up to you. Born on this day in 1983, Braylon Edwards. Football. Pro Bowl wide receiver. Second team all pro for the Cleveland Browns. Look at you go. One for one. One for one. <laughs> uh, I'm just now looking at the list, so bear with me, listeners. Oh, that's fine. Bear with me. I don't have pictures or anything like that. Born on this day in 1980, Jim Vandermeer. Want a hint? I would take a hint. Born in Caroline, Canada. Yeah, that's hockey. A Canadian <laughs> ice hockey player. Uh huh. Born on this day in 1977, Steve Francis. Oh, Steve Francis, great basketball player. Had the shoes too. He also had really, really ugly free throws, didn't he? Yes, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, he played for, let's see, wasn't he the, he was the NBA Rookie of the Year. That sounds right. Back in the day. Yeah, he had, his famous stint was with the Houston Rockets, but he also played for the Magic, the Knicks, and had another step with the Rockets. Was Steve he Francis. on the, the Maryland team that, that beat KU and... Or was it the was it the Maryland, Maryland in 1998, 99? Yeah, you would be correct. I was hoping you didn't bring that up, but sure, fine, go right ahead. Had the sting. Born on the state in 1977, Chad Hutchinson. Uh, football, right? Former quarterback, baseball and football. Ah. Some of these guys, like I said, I'm just. Going off what they Shoot from the hip here. Born on this day in 1970, Mark Woodard. Ooh. I'll guess baseball. Linebacker. Damn. For the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm sure he was a great one. Born on this day in 1969, J.D. Gibbs. Let's go. I want to guess basketball. Oh. NASCAR. Joe Gibbs Racing. I don't American know if I've ever gotten team one NASCAR or Formula One. You're probably driver. right. Yeah, I don't think I... Unless it's Tony Stewart or Jeff Gordon or Kyle Busch. Yeah. 
Not getting it. 1968, Terry Allen. Oh. Football, right? NFL running back for the Minnesota Vikings and Washington Redskins. 1968, Pella McDaniels. Pella? Pelham. Pelham. P-E-L-L-O-M. At least I hope I'm saying that right. Is that football? It says here he's a former chief. Ooh. The more you know. Wonder for how long? (laughs) The more you know. Let's see here. I doubt you would guess him. Born on this day in 1958, Alan Trammell. Baseball, Alan Trammell, former Tiger. Always get his last name confused. Six-time Major League Baseball All-Star, World Series MVP in 1984, Detroit Tigers. He was a manager, too, when the Tigers were he really was. bad. <laughs> and he also was a manager for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Oh, man. Was that it? Well, Man. I told you. I told you when you were coming in. I said it's going to be a short nineteen thirty-eight. Leon Black, football, men's basketball coach. Nineteen twenty-five. Jack Ramsey. Oh, I should know that. Uh, you should know that one. Oh, basketball, Hall of Fame basketball coach. Portland Trail Blazers. Nineteen seventy-seven NBA champs, and that is it. Shooting Tim Horton died head. on this day. In case you're wondering. Tim Morton? Tim Horton. 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 R.I.P. R.I.P. We talked about him before. Yeah. There you go. Well, I'm feeling good. How about that? About that How close. How about that? I am feeling great about that close. <laughs> ACDC brings us out. <laughs> that wraps up another edition of the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. If you missed any of the show, just go to our podcast page at ESPN Wichita. I've been your host, Jack Johnson. Coming up next... We have The Pulse with Pat Strothman on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. Wichita's new sports leader, ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM, KKGQ, Newton.